from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome back, everybody. I uh, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, a lot of days off for, for some of us. Other of us were out there grinding, working, making sure that all those things that we uh, rely on in America are still going on. So thank you for everybody that worked through Thanksgiving, uh, including some of our own uh, team in the control room that were making sure other radio shows were on the air despite ours being on a best of rotation. So anyway, happy Thanksgiving and um, a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to get into a bunch of things this evening. I want to give you the phone number in case you want to join the conversation. It's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And Qatar has announced that Israel and Hamas have agreed to a two-day extension of the already agreed upon ceasefire. And this, uh, again, to many is alarming uh, because they're like, hey, the enemy can regroup and do lots of things and make moves while they're not being, um, you know, attacked, while there's not bombs going on and they can position themselves better while they're not being, um, you know, fending off the, um, the onslaught from the IDF. Um, on the other side, it's, you know, w- what are we doing here? Um, and others, of course, believe we've got to get people out. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Um, this is one of those things I think is tricky, but they have agreed to it. And uh, we'll, we'll chat a little bit more about that later on. Um, we also have our national debt still at $33 trillion. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Uh, talk about the spending bills, the the continuing resolution. And uh, where, where do we go? Because, I mean, ultimately, the, the crows must come home to roost, right? And um, how do we handle all these problems we've had there? There was a lot of talk about, you know, maybe having a budget one day. <laughs> I don't know if that's happening yet, but uh, we're going to dig into that as well. And I also want to talk about something I mentioned the other day, which was I was at breakfast with a couple of guys. And uh, one of the guys worked for an airline. And he was telling me that they are they're paying a lot of money to the pilots on commercial airlines to work extra hours or more days because there is a shortage of pilots. And I know a lot of people experience that with delays and cancellations uh, going into Thanksgiving. And hopefully not everybody had a nightmare. Uh, I didn't do much traveling, so thank God I was in one place. But I know a lot of you did. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the pilots and why there's a pilot shortage and what the outlook on that is. And ultimately what I love to talk about is restoring America, right? bringing America to um, a place that's better than we currently are. Some say making it great again. Uh, I just say just being focused on continual improvement. And this is something I think that many of us overlook, even in our own lives, right? Uh, Oftentimes we think good enough. Just, you know, go on two vacations a year, make X amount of money. If I can make a little more money, great. But we don't always focus on continual improvement, making ourselves, our situation, our lives, 
our relationships better. Um, and I think you need to do that, just like you need to focus on making America better, our government better, our military better, uh, all of those things that matter, right? So I think we, um, we, we are well positioned to reassess our perspective. Um, I had a lot of opportunity to reassess perspective over Thanksgiving. There was days uh, prior to Thanksgiving where I was a real negative Nelly, right? And I was saying, oh, my gosh, will America ever survive? And one of the conversations that came up at Thanksgiving dinner with a friend of mine who's a former state trooper uh, in New Jersey, and he tells me, Valdez, really, what's going on? Where are we headed? And, and you know, and, and you know, being a jerk, I can be a heavy-handed jerk at times, especially um, – when I'm with my closest friends and, and those that care about me the most, I tend to let loose a little bit. And I tell him, I said, oh, we're going to hell in a handbasket. This is not looking good. And he goes, I knew it. I knew it. And I said, no, nah, no. Nah. Honestly, I, I think we're, we are, it, it can look dire. Things aren't great. But so we shouldn't put our heads in the sand. But at the same time, I think there is opportunity. There is hope. There is a way for uh, America, for us, for each and every one of us to make things better um, for the country overall, right? For the culture so that we don't just take a back seat to some of the things that, that bother some of us. Um, I'd say some of us that are more conservative than, than others. And it's okay, I think, to have differences of opinion, right? People are going to have different views on things, but it's, it's not okay to endanger minors, right? And so when we talk about a woke policy or, or, or queer theory or gender um, ideology being injected into classrooms when we see our own national report cards sliding in the wrong direction where we see people not getting the level of education that they used to get, not producing uh, domestic doctors and nurses the way we once did. <clears throat> and, and it's not just the quality of education. I think it's also the amount of medical schools that we have and, and how many students they accept is also part of the issue. But the fact that we have so much imported um, talent when it comes to medicine is, is, or even pilots for that matter, anytime you have to start importing critical functions, um, you, you got to check yourself, right, as a country and say, why aren't we doing better? And I think there's been a big push for STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math so that we can produce more engineers and, 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 and whatnot. I think ultimately we, we have to produce more of everything that we need. If America needs more nurses, we need to focus on that from grade school to introduce this career field and give them an opportunity to succeed on that test. Whereas I think a lot of people are just underprepared in so many of our public schools. So my theme for tonight is continual improvement, right? Making America better, making our budget process better, making uh, the national debt better, making all of it better. Because if we lose focus of being positive or having a perspective that is jaded in some way or having a perspective that is negative, then that's what we're going to be. We're going to be negative. And then we're just going to be a bunch of people that complain, that don't offer a solution and take no action because we'll throw up our hands and say, doesn't matter. They're going to do what they want anyway, right? I recently congratulated uh, Councilwoman Vicky Palladino, who uh, ran for the state assembly in New York some years ago, or state Senate, and, and did not win. She lost that election. Then ran for city council the following year, and she won. Um, ran again, 
and she won again in a landslide. And this is a pro-Trump conservative Republican out of New York City. Now, my congratulations to her consisted of saying, congratulations, this proves that conservative Republicans can win elections in blue areas. Now, I know that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm cherry picking that. But the bottom line is when you have a vision and you put that effort behind it, I believe you eventually get there. It doesn't stop people from cheating. It doesn't stop crime from occurring. But you can make a difference. That's the moral of the story. Anyway, keep it locked right here. We're going to come back, continue our discussion on the budget and everything else that's going on. I am Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. How many days would you like to see the pause go on for? I would like to see us move to a point where we were able to, uh, well, let me put it this way. I'd like to see the pause go on as long as prisoners kept coming out. So Israel and Hamas have entered the fourth and final day of their uh, original ceasefire as of today, Monday, but Hamas and other negotiators are pushing for an extension. So far, they've gotten 58 hostages released. The ceasefire began on Friday, uh, exchanging them for 150 Palestinian criminals held in Israeli prisons. Hamas is widely known to use these ceasefires as time to recuperate from the devastating blow of the IDF. And this is uh, obviously the result of what happened on October 7th. So, This is where they are. Biden says he wants to see it go on as long as possible. And listen, if I were president, I'd probably say the same thing. You know, my first um, question when he called for the ceasefire was, why didn't he call for a ceasefire from Putin? Right. What happened there? There was no calls for ceasefire there. I mean, when he went, they there were no bombs being dropped when Biden was walking around the streets of uh, of Kiev. But uh, they played some air raid sirens and made it look like it was something way worse than it was. But the point is, He's treated these differently, and I understand they're different situations. We want ceasefires, right? But in a situation like this one, um, you have to, um, you know, take into account who the enemy is. And I think, you know, I'm on board for a ceasefire if, if it works, right? Obviously, Netanyahu was on board for it, too. So he agreed to it to get these hostages. Um, but there, you know, with the good comes the bad. There's a caveat, right? Not, not everything goes your way all the time. 
So we've got a bunch of people that are now um, pushing and pulling for different things. Uh, President Biden uh, has committed to continuing to offer aid to Israel. And but, you know, what he says is it's a worthwhile thought. (laughs) And I think, you know, Ukraine is is um, not an ally like Israel is. And there's been no question of the unending cash and uh, mainly weapons that we've sent to Ukraine. So why is there such reservation with Israel? Well, I think it's because um, Biden just doesn't like Israel. He doesn't like Saudi Arabia, people that certain governments that he just doesn't like. Um, But I don't think it's consistent with the best interests of the country. So uh, today he told a crowd in Nantucket, Massachusetts, that he's going to continue to put condition on aid to Israel because we have to, it's a worthwhile thought. Listen to this. Mr. President, there are members of your party who would like to see conditions placed on aid to Israel. What is your view on that? They would like to see, uh, you know, the adoption of the following. Well, I think that's a, 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 a worthwhile thought, but I don't think if I started off with that, we'd ever gotten to where we are today. We have to take this a piece at a time. Now, you know, oftentimes when President Biden makes comments, members of his staff, they, you know, they wince. You know, they're like, oh, no, he didn't say that. Oh, geez. You know, like when he when he called uh, President Xi or Chairman Xi from China a dictator. Um, and one of those guys that's always wincing uh, in, in the background, trying to stop Biden from putting his foot in his mouth, is John Kirby. And John Kirby today was at the White House press briefing saying the same exact thing that President Biden said, which I think is interesting. So it seems like Biden is now taking the cues of John Kirby when he says it's a worthwhile thought. Uh, listen to John Kirby um, laying laying the, the groundwork for Biden's comment. Check this out. Two things here. The president uh, called conditional aid for Israel a worthwhile thought. Is he actually considering conditioning aid or not? What he also said right after uh, acknowledging that it was a worthwhile thought was that the approach he has chosen to take so far has produced results and outcomes. Many of them I just walked you through in my opening statement. Um, so the approach that we're taking with Israel and quite frankly with our partners in the region uh, is working. It's getting aid in to people that need it. It's getting a pause in the fighting. It's getting hostages out. It's getting Americans out. Uh, And quite frankly, we continue to urge and will continue to urge the Israelis as they conduct military operations to do so with the utmost care for innocent civilian life. Democrats in in his party who say we need to start conditioning aid going forward, what would he say? I think he would say exactly what he said to y'all yesterday when he got asked this question. Uh, It's a worthwhile thought, but the approach that I'm taking now is working. The approach that we're taking now is working. It's getting results. You know, this is an interesting argument, right? This is an interesting way of thinking uh, because he doesn't say that the results are positive. Uh, he just says it's getting results. And not to to conflate anything here or convolute this story, but I remember when Democrats, progressives uh, in particular on the left, We're saying things like, uh, we need to defund the police. We need to abolish ICE. Um, We need to end racism in and and mass incarceration and racism within mass incarceration by 
changing how we charge people criminally for certain crimes. Maybe we just decriminalize crime and we get a b- bunch of uh, pro-crime progressive prosecutors that won't prosecute uh, the, these criminals, but instead will coddle them. And all of those things got results. Lots of results. We've seen murder rates skyrocket in certain areas. We've seen crime skyrocket. We've seen shoplifting and organized shoplifting um, and flash mob um, these organized flash mobs that go in and just steal everything. Uh, we've seen this stuff multiply across the country. So it makes me wonder, um, just simply saying that the approach we're taking is getting results. Results for who? And by whose standard are these results positive? I think that is what we really have to, to ask. That's what we have to question. Not just simply saying what we're doing is getting results. I mean, lots of things can get results. The real question is, are they worth anything? Anyway, these guys, um, you got to watch them. They're slimy. Now, Eric Swalwell, when we uh, come back, we're going to get into this one. Eric Swalwell was on MSNBC yesterday. And he says that, look, yeah, conditioning the aid to Israel, you know, putting conditions upon the aid, like saying, look, we'll give you money, but you can't fight, you know, that type of thing. Uh, And I'm not saying specifically that that's the condition, but that's what they want to do. Um, One of the conditions he's suggesting is Israel committing to a two-state solution. And, you know, making the statement that everybody likes to hear, right? You can be pro-Palestine, pro-Jewish, and anti-Hamas. And this is a nice idea. It's a nice idea, although I think we've tried this one, right? I think this has been on the table most of my adult life, this idea of a two-state solution. Um, I'm not saying that it's impossible, but some of the experts that I brought on, most of them tend to think that it's pie-in-the-sky thinking. If they haven't done it yet, why would they do it now? Now, I guess it's a negotiation like any other negotiation, right, where somebody's got to concede to something somewhere, and you have to kind of meet in the middle. But the question is, if it hasn't worked hasta la fecha, right, up to date, to this date. And why on earth would we continue to pursue that in the future? Right? Why don't we put together some conditions that might actually work? Anyway, don't go anywhere, folks. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle. Your call's coming up next. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. is rich 
Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, happy to be back with you guys after a couple of days off. I hope everybody had a good time. Uh, I know I did. Um, you know, a lot of introspection, honestly, the last few days. I realized uh, that sometimes um, you don't know what you don't know. And when you find out, sometimes it could be really shocking. You're like, holy crap, <laughs> have I been doing that all along? So uh, part of my, I, I've decided to make my New Year's resolutions over Thanksgiving break, and I'm trying to have a more positive outlook and to, to be a little bit more considerate of other opinions. doesn't mean I have to agree with those opinions, but I definitely want to consider them because I, I just don't want to shut everybody down. And I don't mean just political stuff. I mean like everybody all over the place. I think it's important to consider people's opinions, uh, to consider uh, altering um, or differing perspectives because ultimately you, you really can't assess the entirety of everything unless you're able to view it holistically. I think once you're able to view things in a holistic manner, then you can say, all right, I, I listened to what you had to say. I considered it. And I'm either, you know, going to take it or leave it. And and that's fair, right? These are conversations that, that we, we have to have. And when it comes to, to the budget or when it comes to Hamas and giving support to Israel, but saying we're only going to give you military support if you do it the way we want you to do it, um, it, it, there's a conversation to be had. And Eric Swalwell thinks that we have to do it in a manner that's consistent with a two-state solution. Uh, I got this queued up here. I think number 11, go for it. Some of your colleagues have called for conditioning of aid to Israel. Yeah. What, what do you think of that? Well, we, we should have expectations that Israel commits to a two-state solution, that uh, Israel you know, does allow humanitarian aid in, but we should support their efforts to defeat Hamas, because uh, Hamas uh, will continue, uh, you know, to bring a barbaric attack against the Jewish people and, and people uh, like the United in the United States, who they have also declared uh, as their enemy. Again, th there's nothing easy about this high wire act of defeating Hamas, protecting innocent Palestinians uh, and, and protecting uh, the Jewish state. Uh, but uh, if you step back, I, I think you have to be an aggressive listener in, in this situation. My district has one of the largest Muslim, American and Arab populations in the country and understand uh, the Islamophobia that they're experiencing, the family members they have uh, in this conflict, and also to understand that anti-Semitism is at a peak in this country right now. And parents are concerned about their kids being out in the community. You can do all of that. You can say Hamas is a terrorist state. You can say Israel should protect against innocent life. You can be pro-Palestinian, anti-Hamas, and pro-Jewish state and against the leadership of Israel right now uh, and, and not be uh, you know, contradictory. Uh, and you just, as I say, you'd have to be an aggressive listener right now. And I think, and we'll all be better off and the policy will be better if that's the approach we take. Now, I don't know much about aggressive listening. I think I try to do uh, attentive listening and I listen intently. I try to at least, although sometimes you got to tell me something 10 times before I get it. But the reality here is, while on its face, what Swalwell is saying uh, makes sense. But that's how real rhetoric works, right? But that's not really what they're calling for. Because if you say you're going to be anti-Hamas, um, pro-Palestinian state, pro-Jewish state, that that in theory is all great if you can pull that off. But in reality, I think we have a different outcome, right? And I, I, this is, we're going to speak in generalities because we're in America and they're in the Middle East. But those that we interview, those that are on the ground, those that we've spoken of, 
all seem to tell a, a very similar story. Similar, not all. I don't think everybody agrees on everything. But I do think that the fact that you have a regime, and I'm going to call them a regime because they claim to be a political party, Hamas, but they don't, they don't hold elections. And unless the elections are every, you know, 18 years or whatever it is. So I, I believe that some, to, to, to make the supposition that the people living in under Hamas rule, at least in part, are complicit is, is somewhat of a fair statement to make. Somewhat. I say that it's it's only certain uh, partially fair because that would be like saying, well, you know, you all in America, you elected Joe Biden and treating me as if I did that. Right. I didn't do that. I, I didn't vote for Phil Murphy in New Jersey. I didn't vote for Joe Biden uh, to, to be in the White House. But somebody from abroad could look at me and say, oh, you guys did that. Or. More granularly, you know, when people, whenever I, I criticize folks like uh, All Out Crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, AOC, All Out Crazy herself, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Whenever I do that, I um, somebody inevitably says, well, you brought it on yourself. You know, you and the people in New York, you're the people that voted for her. Is that fair? Now, I realize there's no elections. But I would say some part of that statement is true. There are some New Yorkers that voted for AOC. There are some Palestinians that clearly um, support what Hamas is doing, that they haven't rebelled. Now, we heard from one guy, we played the audio um, on this program, I think a week and a half ago, where he was talking about his brother that was killed by Hamas because he spoke out against them. So he exercised some free speech. And his speech wasn't very free and it cost him his life. So I think you silence your opposition when you shoot them, right? Uh, ultimately, that, that's how that works. Uh, Chairman Mao, the founder of the Chinese Communist Party, is, is famous for a quote, or has a famous quote, I should say, that says, political power comes from the barrel of a gun. Now, of course, that's not a statement that's true in the United States, although I'm sure you'll find a lot of people that argue and say, oh, it absolutely is. But by and large, that's not the case here. Right. So while I understand Mr. Swalwell's uh, desire to to be all things to all people, I think you just don't have that situation. It's not available. You don't have a democratic process. Where Palestinians vote for Hamas. They voted once and some of them may support them. Some of them may applaud the when they're bringing dead bodies through the street. That may happen. But I'm, I know that there's a number of them that I've spoken with myself that called in to talk radio over the years that have said, look, we don't have a problem with the, the Israelis. Matter of fact, many of us go there to work. We have a problem with Hamas. So it seems you have the Israelis having a problem with Hamas and you have the Palestinians having a problem with Hamas. So I understand, again, what Swalwell is saying, but I think in theory, 
difficult to pull off because you can't you can't account for Hamas. They're there and they're there by force. So unless they're removed by force, how do you have a two-state solution? Right? And this is why you can't put conditions, in my opinion, or at least that kind of condition. Because ultimately, these people have to be eradicated. Not the Palestinians, not the Jews, the terrorists, from whichever side they be. Ultimately, the evil has to be rooted out so that the people can have an opportunity to flourish. You can't live under oppression and flourish and thrive. If I'm wrong, you let me know. And if you're trying to call, by the way, if you're trying to call in, uh, I believe the deep state is acting up again and our phone line is jacked up. So I'll let you know once they get that fixed. Uh, I don't want you to think we're ignoring your calls or uh, we don't like you or we're not answering or maybe um, our call screeners asleep in the studio. None of that is true. We are, we are on top of it and we've got our crack team of engineers and IT people on the case to fight the deep state and the attack on our phone line. But until then, you keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we continue discussing the news of the day. By the way, it's Cyber Monday. Um, that's the Black Friday for the Internet. And uh, I don't know about you. I wish the phone was working. And this is one of those I want to ask everybody. Maybe once we get it up and running, you guys could call in and answer me and let me know what your thoughts are on this. But I, I don't know. Maybe I could find something on this. But I know that I didn't. I don't think I bought a single thing on Black Friday. And I, I intended to. But I didn't. And, and it leaves me wondering. Am I the only one or did did we blow away the numbers? I don't think we did. I didn't see any big news on that. As a matter of fact, I, I heard stories that um, said that, you know, Black Friday wasn't as uh, robust as it could be. And I know in, in my dealings in life and my goings on, I, you know, I, I saw a bunch of people this weekend. You know, I went to Thanksgiving and I went to a tailgate party on Black Friday. It's my second tailgate party ever uh, for before a Jets game at MetLife Stadium. And it was um, always, it's a good time. It was, it's always a good time. It was a little cold though. It was colder than I remembered it being last time I went to that same party. However, I didn't hear anybody bragging about all of the, the great stuff that, that they bought um, on, on Black Friday. I just didn't see that. Now I'm seeing a couple of headlines um, that e-commerce stocks uh, kind of rallied back after, Black Friday's um, record spending. So that seems like a good thing. Um, good for the economy, good for, but I just didn't hear, and I didn't hear anybody tell, oh, you got to get this, you know, you got to go on whatever, it's Black Friday. I mean, normally I, people email me or text me, and I, I get all sorts of stuff you see it on social media. Uh, there were sales, but I didn't see any uh, anybody saying, oh, I got the craziest deal on the most difficult to get blah, blah, blah. 
And I just thought that was uh, was interesting. So according to CNBC, um, shares of e-commerce stocks like Shopify, Etsy, and Wayfair all went up on Cyber Monday um, because of strong Black Friday sales online. And now they have uh, good projections for the rest of today. Now, budget-conscious shoppers were looking for deals and buying, you know, with uh, what they used to call, I guess, layaway, where you'd pay it, put a little bit down. But now they have new ways of doing that, where it's like credit, where you can pay in installments. They call it buy now, pay later services. And um, you've got people that are new to the e-commerce game, like TikTok and Timu, also putting out a lot of really big promotions. So I'm curious to see, you know, how good these sales were. Maybe when we bring one of our economists on, we could uh, kind of delve into that a little bit. But uh, according to CNBC, the online spending reached a record of $9.8 billion in the United States. And that was up 7.5% from last year, according to Adobe Analytics. Now, online sales on what they call Cyber Weekend, the days between Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday, were up by 7.7% to $10.3 billion. Uh, Cyber Monday sales are expected to reach up to $12.4 billion, making it the biggest U.S. online shopping day of the year, according to uh, Adobe Analytics. So this caused some stocks to go up. And listen, this is music to my ears. Um, my, my question now becomes, how does this translate into the rest of the economy, right? Um, I'm grateful that people are spending, and uh, trust me, I think we all want the same thing, right? We all want to be able to buy more things, spend more money, and have a good time when it comes to um, <clears throat> Black Friday, the holidays, et cetera, et cetera, life in general, right? Take that extra vacation, do all that stuff. And we've got a... Um, I wanted to get into this other story. I'll get into it in the next segment. Um, but there was Biden. He Instead of taking a victory lap on, on a good Black Friday, which is what any good politician would have done, he decides to say, well, you know what? The problem with inflation really isn't uh, him, his administration, the massive spending from when he took over uh, the White House during the pandemic from Trump um, and, and the massive spending. I think $6 trillion in new spending. He says, no, no, no. It's the corporations. The corporations are to blame. I got to tell you, I mean, he wouldn't be a politician if he wasn't doing this type of thing. But never um, ceases to amaze me, right? The, the, the things that he, he picks, and even when he has a chance. And uh, listen to uh, President Biden complaining that uh, these companies are taking advantage of you and that's their fault that we have inflation. To any corporation that's not brought their prices back down, even as inflation has come down, even as supply chains have been rebuilt, it's time to stop the price gouging and give the American consumer a break. Yeah. Now, listen, I'm not saying that that's not happening, and I agree with that statement. If there's price gouging going on, yes, of course, indeed, it needs to stop. But is that always the case? Or is it just that life got that much more expensive when our dollar became devalued because of an inflation? Maybe it's a little bit of everything. We'll talk about it more straight ahead. Um, 833-482-5337 should be up and running soon, just not yet. 
I'm Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. President Biden, as you just heard, uh, was uh, right before the break. He says, it's the corporations. Prices are still too high. And he's arguing that uh, the company should lower their prices after an 18 percent jump in consumer consumer goods um, since he took office. <clears throat> now, the, the problem I have with this is if it's the companies that are raising the prices by 18 percent, not the fact that inflation is really there, um, then it should be addressed, right? I mean, inflation has come down incrementally. So therefore, prices should come down incrementally. And I, and I feel like they have in certain areas, like certain things have become a little bit more affordable. Certain things haven't. And that adds in a lot of other things, right? Like supply chain issues, uh, which uh, he also um, addressed, saying that, and he's right on that. We do have to fix it. The problem is he's not doing anything to fix it. Right. So when he says that we need to fix the nation's supply chains um, and that doing that, fixing these things has brought down inflation. um, Well, first, let's listen to him say it. Listen to these savings matter to so many families, especially at this time of the year. And it's no there's no accident when it comes down to supply chains. Did you ever think we'd be talking this much about supply chains? No, but I'm serious. It's critical. Everybody's beginning to figure it out. The average person knows what we're talking. We talk about supply chains. So when you look at that, we, um, we, we say, hmm, what, what exactly are we talking about here? Because I know that if you take a look at, I don't know, let's just say used cars, right? Used cars are still just as much as they were a year ago. Um, I think even new cars are just as expensive as they were a year ago. I don't hear anybody saying they went to the car dealer and things got cheaper. Now, I know that they might have produced a couple of more cars, but over the weekend, I hung out with uh, some old friends, and one of my buddies had a brand-new 2024 Audi. Really nice. And I was, you know, I was like, oh, wow, it's really nice. I haven't seen this before. He said, no, I just got it. And he said, I actually had to wait because, you know, they didn't have it in yet and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was supposed to have it in October, and uh, I didn't get it until, you know, like last week or something like that or two weeks ago. And it made me think, you know, and he was saying how he paid top dollar for it, like he couldn't negotiate. So if things as important as cars aren't budging, what are we going to do? Tell the car companies they have to lower their prices? It's supply and demand, right? I think it's Biden that's really got to do some fixing here because we didn't have this problem in the previous administration. Just saying. Anyway, we're coming right back with the rest of the show. I am Rich Valdez. Again, that, that number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's Monday, hour number two of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Glad to be back. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving break. Thankful to have spent some time away for a couple of days. And um, and for those of you who didn't get any time away, I'm thankful for you for doing what you had to do. You know, whatever your job is, um, people need to keep, the the lights on and keep the wheels of of society rolling forward. So um, kudos to everybody. And I want to talk about this poll, right? There's a poll out, pretty funny one, I think, that shows the least popular governor in the United States is still more popular than Joe Biden. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. So listen to this. The least popular American governor is a Republican, Tate Reeves of Mississippi, and he is more popular than Biden. This is according to a recent uh, morning consult poll. The poll updated today has Biden's approval rating at 38 percent, meaning a lot of people. Right. What's that? Forty. No, 62 percent think. uh He's not so great and don't approve. And let's see. Well, there's some undecideds there. So it's really 55%, but still massive number. Um, And according to the average from 538, 538.com, Biden's approval rating was at 39.1% with 54.7% disapproval. So it seems to be consistent across the board, this uh, 55% number. Now, Reeves has an approval rating that's at 45%. And that's, again, the least popular governor is at 45%, Biden at 38%, coming in way lower. And, of course, it's rare for presidents to always have very high approval ratings uh, like governors do because it's a smaller, um, smaller voting universe and, you know, the national media isn't focused on most governors. But Biden's performance, especially recently, has just been horrible by pretty much every standard. Now, and this is in The Hill, by the way, the uh, the poll from Morning Consult shows that every governor had an approval rating at 45% or higher. And this is just, again, it's, it's just more... Um, more reasons, more fodder for what's going on and why we should expect uh, 2024 to be such an interesting election year. Because I think, my goodness, if if Biden's doing this poorly right now, how does he turn it around? And of course, you know, I'm optimistic that he can turn around. I'm not rooting for him, but I realize that, you know, he can start harping on how inflation continues to fall and he's already putting pressure on certain manufacturers. And <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the beauty 
of being a politician like Biden is that he'll do what he's got to do to get the result, right? Um, and many of us do that. I know I'm guilty of that. I oftentimes will, will, you know, if I'm trying to win an argument, you win the argument. And, you know, it's not something you should bring into your personal life. But oftentimes, professionally, this is how it is. And when you look at Biden, would you say it's outside of the realm of reason to think that Joe Biden would not do something Right now, he's using public pressure, right, saying uh, these corporations need to bring their prices down. But what about when he goes to his friends at Target, when he goes to his friends at other places and says, hey, look, here's what I can do for you. Here's what I need you to do for me. How can we come up with a deal here to make things cheaper? And then we could publicize this and say, you know what? Things are going great. How does he go to certain um, you know, food manufacturers and say, you know, I don't know, the, the, the head of the milk council? And say, look, we need to bring down the, the cost of a gallon of milk. I don't care what you got to do. Make it happen, and I'll make sure you get X, Y, and Z on the back end. And the next budget, we'll have this in. We'll have that. We'll do, you know, whatever. Whatever deal they can cut. Now, I would say that's a good thing for the American people in many ways. I don't want the government interfering in private industry. But I would, I still think Americans will be happy to pay less for milk. But it, it's not outside of my imagination that he would do such a thing to try and uh, score a deal to say, you know, the cost of a gallon of milk's down to $1.97, you know, whatever. I'm just throwing a number out there. But to make his point, to say, look, I'm, I've, I've made it, I've done good here. Things are great. Now, I know people are getting raises and they're getting promotions and, and people are doing well uh, in certain aspects. And then there's a lot of other people that are somewhat stagnant and having to take on a lot of part-time work. Ultimately, I think people are going to vote their their conscience and they're going to vote with their pocketbooks and it's going to be incredibly important in my opinion for biden to uh to really make good on some sort of promise and right now he's just saying we're getting results we're doing the right thing but i think the reality is there are there's a war going on right there are two wars going on you've got one in ukraine and one in israel these are or one i should say in in um in Gaza. This is a big deal. It's very contentious. People are, are polarized on either side of it. And ultimately, I hope, I believe, that people are going to look to Biden to either make these wars go away, to make them better. People are weary of sending money on either side, right? You've got Republicans that don't want to send any more money to Ukraine. You've got Democrats that don't want to send money to Israel. They don't want it to happen. Their constituents don't want it to happen. So ultimately, we're going to be in a place where people, I, I suspect, are going to hold Biden accountable. And that prompts the question I've been asking every guest for the last couple of months. Is Biden going to run? Is there a contested Democrat convention? Will someone else present themselves? Will he bail out? Or does he try and nail it? And, and if so, what does he do in order to win? I don't have the answers to all of those questions, but we're definitely going to figure that out because I think that's what's on everybody's mind. Uh, I also want to get into a, a couple of other conversations, a few things that are going on. There, uh, there was a story that I haven't mentioned yet on the air because it, it happened um, very recently and we weren't, on the, we weren't live on Friday. We're having uh, greatest hits, or as they say, best of in the business. Um, but about these students that were 
shot on uh, over the weekend. And, and this is horrible, right? I mean, the, the whole idea is crazy. These students uh, were uh, three 20-year-old Palestinian college students. So I want to get into that story and a couple of other things straight ahead. I would give you the phone number, but I think we're still battling to get that uh, working. The deep state seems to be winning the battle against our phone line. Uh, but feel free to um, tag me uh, in a comment if you want to make a comment on what we're talking about on any of the social media. I'll take a look at those during the break at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez. And keep it locked right here. We're going to continue the conversation on all the things that are happening in the day. And yeah, that's it. No phone number until we come back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He appeared very nervous. Uh, he was shaking. He produced his hands empty, stated, I've been waiting for you. Uh, why is that? I think I need a lawyer. Do you have any weapons in there? There's a shotgun inside. Anything else? I think I need a lawyer. And at that point, he was detained. That is the chief of police, uh, John Murad of the Burlington, uh, Vermont Police Department, saying that the suspect uh, pled not guilty in the shooting of the uh, the three men, right? Three three college students, Palestinian guys, uh, were shot near the University of Vermont, and uh, that was the response they got when the ATF agents knocked on the suspect's door on Sunday. Uh, Chief Murad also uh, discussed how the uh, suspect followed uh, the law when buying the weapon that he's accused of using. Listen to this. It was acquired legally uh, through a, uh, a federally uh, licensed firearms dealer um, here in the state, uh, and there were no flags on that purchase that we know of. Um, and uh, it was required. It was acquired only a, a short while ago, a few uh, months ago, I believe. Now, again, this is a, a story that uh, broke on Saturday where um, <clears throat> these three Palestinian college students were shot while walking to a family dinner in Vermont. Um, the, the supposition in the media right now seems to be that they were shot because of their ethnicity, right? Um, two of the men, one of them's a student at Brown University, were wearing uh, traditional... Um, scarves that they wear in, in Palestine around their necks. And Hussam Zamlat, I don't want to mess up the name here. He's the head of the Palestinian mission in the United Kingdom, um, is, is claiming that this is, this is a result of, of a hate-fueled attack. Zamlat says the three Palestinian men identified by their relatives are Hisham Atwatani, Tarshin Ali Ahmad, and Kinan Abdel Hamid. And they were all shot last night on their way to this uh, family dinner. And this is not the type of thing we want to see, right? Again, I, I, don't, I don't know much of the story other than what's being reported. 
but I, I there's a picture of them here, young guys, um, looking Middle Eastern, and I, I'm not ever going to subscribe to the idea that we should shoot people because of who they are, where they come from, what they, you know, what they represent as far as their ethnicity. Um, if, if we subscribe to that, we're screwed as a society, right? We're, we're like going backwards instead of moving forward to make America better, make ourselves better, make society better. We're not. Now the Burlington chief, uh, again, who you just heard, John Murad, he said in a statement on Sunday that he'd reached out to federal investigators in the case and says that, you know, nobody can look at this incident and not suspect that it might have been a hate-motivated crime, the chief said. He also said, uh, I've already been in touch with federal investigatory and prosecutorial partners to prepare uh, for that if it's proven. But now that the victims are safe and receiving medical care, they got out of the hospital today, the same day the the, the shooter was charged. Uh, the next priority is identifying, locating, and apprehending uh, the suspect, which, like I said, they've done. <clears throat> that was a statement he released on Saturday. Now, of course, this is wrong. There's no justification for this. And I believe it's appropriate for the folks in the media to discuss this, like I'm discussing it right now with you all. Right. Let's have a conversation about it. Um, these are things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be curious. We're supposed to ask these questions. I think the question becomes muddy or the question that I or the critique that a criticism that I have for the left within the media is that they will hold on to this. And again, now make this about this is why we need gun control. This is gun control was not going to stop this man. Right. Who legally obtained the gun whether it's legal or illegal, right? Now, if you want to shoot people because you don't like them, for whatever reason, right? You want to be a reckless, evil person. No one is, is stopping you from doing that but yourself, right? The law exists. Morality exists. Laws exist that say you can't do that. So limiting one's ability to be able to defend themselves is not going to be the answer. Telling somebody you can't have uh, a firearm because this pendejo decided to go and, and shoot people is in effect an argument against the victims. Now, I don't know if they wanted to carry a gun or not, but if the victims were carrying guns, they might have had an opportunity to defend themselves and take out the shooter. But that ultimately didn't happen. Right? And and, and that's why these arguments, to me, are nonsensical. What we have to have a discussion about is exactly what happened, right? The fact that this man, um, evil in nature, whomever he may be, I've, um, I should look for a report on his name. I think I have it here. Is um, He's the problem. His actions are the problem. His behavior is the problem. I don't understand how we, we get lost on that. And and you're talking to somebody who, you know, I argue with people on the phone all day long. I understand, you know, the, the desire to always be right or to, to, to make your point. But the sum of all of this is that this guy did a bad thing. Whether he stole a car to run somebody over 
or he used his own registered and insured vehicle to run someone over. The problem is that he ran someone over, right? Making the example, the analogy here of running someone over. Well, it's the same thing with a gun. And for anybody to say, well, if cars were outlawed, it would be harder for them to obtain a gun or to obtain a car for that matter. No, that's, that, that just doesn't make sense. Because if it did, then it would hold true in the areas that have the highest crime, where the majority of that crime is perpetrated by people who are obtaining guns illegally. Because bad people are going to do bad things, irrespective of my ability and your ability and, and these students' ability to protect themselves. But anyway, it's just really unfortunate. Now, straight ahead, I want to get into a couple of more things. There's a few things I have on the agenda today. Uh, there was a story coming out of Iran. You got these Iran-backed rebels, the Houthis, that uh, they fired a missile at a U.S. Navy ship after it came to the aid of uh, a cargo ship that had ties to Israel, and these pirates kind of attacked it. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit straight ahead. I also want to get into uh, a few uh, other topics tonight. Um, you know, there's there's conversation about lots of things going on in the media. And one of those things is this discussion of of reporting, right? And we, we talked about a little bit earlier about what's going on in Gaza. And I just mentioned my thoughts on my critique on the left within the media. And that that still continues to to be a, a thing where it's the import the importance of reporting accurately if you're a reporter, which I'm not. But if you are a reporter, you've got to tell the the entirety of the story in in the most neutral manner you can. This seems common sense. I'm preaching to the choir here. You know this, and I know this, but yet we know it doesn't happen. And and to me, part of this uh, notion that we want to make America great again, make it better, is clear. this is clearly one of the problems we have. And this is not a problem of creating a, a new system. Right? We're not going to make a law saying a journalist can't lie. This is a moral failure. It's a crisis of one's character. And that's what we have to focus on. Anyway, we'll continue that discussion straight ahead. Um, 833-482-5337. I think we're closer and closer to being able to take your calls. So uh, stick with me, folks. I'm here with you until 1 a.m. It's me, Rich Valdez, and I'm coming right back. America, welcome back. We have made progress with the uh, the problem on our phone line. So I'm going to blame the deep state for that. And uh, they provided us with a temporary phone number for tonight and tonight alone. That number, if you want to write it down and give us a call, join the program, feel free. 833-377-6630. 833-377-6630. Again, that's the number to call the show tonight because we had to reroute our lines to a different number while they repair the um, current 8334-Valdez number. So 833-377-6630. Now, earlier I mentioned um, a little bit about 
the the issue at hand, right? We had a a question of people traveling for the holidays for Thanksgiving, and I didn't go anywhere. I, mean, I stayed very local. Um, I tried to even stay off the roads, but a lot of people traveled. A lot of people were all over the place. And uh, on Wednesday, I had breakfast with a uh, with an old buddy of mine. And he'd, he'd come in from South Carolina, and he works in the airline industry. And he was telling me that they were there's all sorts of incentives for all of his pilot buddies that work with him because they they can't find enough guys to, to fly that many hours, and the pilots are limited in many ways um, in how many hours they're allowed to fly in general. So he said, you know, for their days off, they're offering them incentives, extra cash, in order for them to, to go ahead and, and take these jobs. And it got me thinking about, you know, why and how we've gotten to this place where we have a a pilot shortage. So I wanted to have this conversation with uh, Jay Ratcliffe. He's an aviation consultant and former Northwest Airlines executive. Jay Ratcliffe, welcome, sir. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Likewise, pleasure to speak with you. So let's let's talk about this um, pilot shortage because uh, I'm, it seems that some pilots are getting six figure bonus offers, and airlines are trying to poach uh, pilots from other airlines, and th- there's a whole new process with one airline. So let's talk about how did we get to this place? Is it because people aren't interested in being pilots, or is there massive demand? It pretty much started at the beginning of the pandemic uh, when we rolled into that. Uh, airlines and the executives really had no idea how long it was going to last. And they knew that uh, many of them were top-heavy with regards to their their employees. And uh, so they rolled out some incentives, some aggressive incentives, trying to see if they could get uh, not only the senior pilots, flight attendants, mechanics, uh, even the customer service representatives to take early retirement. Uh, the, The thought being that if this was going to last for a period of years, with a few more years after that for us to see some sort of a recovery, not knowing what that recovery might be, uh, the idea would be trim as much of that overhead payroll as you can, and you start with the people at the top. And the airlines were shocked at the number of people that stepped forward to take that early buyout. Southwest Airlines in their history has never laid off a single employee, and they were certain, okay, this is going to be the time when it's going to happen. But they had nearly 20% of their personnel step forward, not all pilots, uh, to avoid having any sort of a, you know, of a layoff at, at Southwest. So the pandemic goes through its course. We start to see a return to the demand for travel. And the next thing you know, airlines started going out uh, looking for pilots. Now, it, it used to be that you would throw an application online and you would receive, you know, 100, 200 uh, applications. Uh, for each opening in some of these that they had. They were not getting that. They weren't getting close to that. And it became very clear uh, very quickly that we were going to be short on pilots. The demand for air travel was progressing at such a pace and accelerating, we were unable uh, to fill all the open positions that we had. turns out the airlines were very aggressive in getting rid of the pilots and uh, the, the thought being they would just replace them as we've always done for decades past, only to find out that wasn't the case. So just like the retail stores are having a hard time getting people to want to work, it's the same sort of situation there. 
And we had a, a, a few weeks ago, FedEx on a Friday told their pilots, look, the economy's slowing down. We don't have enough hours to give all of you the minimum number of flight hours. And I think they have like 5,800 pilots. So they were telling their pilots, consider flying somewhere else. So you have on the cargo side of things a surplus of, of pilots, and yet on the commercial side of things you have a, a shortage. And you mentioned the, the, the sign-on bonuses and things that are in place. Right. Uh, FedEx mentioned, look, American Airlines has a regional carrier that for the captains, they'll allow you to swing over, start flying for them, and uh, you know, you'll know you maintain the bulk of your seniority, and they're willing to offer a $250,000 sign-on bonus. And if that doesn't show just how desperate some of these airlines are, uh, it, it's this is unprecedented. And they're doing everything they can from you know buying flight schools, working with different departments, some airlines that have rented small planes so that they can bring people on that don't have the necessary flight hours and have them flying until they've accumulated the 1,500 hours minimum needed uh, for the FAA, unless you're coming out of the military and you only need 750 flight hours. Um, and trying to do everything they can because right now, even though the demand for domestic travel, leisure travel, is slacking off back to seasonal norms, what we saw prior to the pandemic, uh, next year it looks like the international travel is going to boom on us. And right now we're not prepared for that. We do not have enough pilots. Folks, we're on with Jay Ratcliffe. He's an aviation consultant and former Northwest Airlines executive discussing the uh, ongoing pilot shortage and Jay Radcliffe, you mentioned something that uh, I, I remembered that happening when when there were these layoffs and and people were were you know losing their jobs and whatnot. And I know some of them were quitting. There was a big issue uh, with pilots saying they didn't want to get vaccinated. And I remember that was also part of it. But ultimately, I, I feel that there the pandemic came and left, and there were people that took buyouts and whatnot. But these people still exist figuratively speaking, right? And and I wonder why they didn't decide to go back into the industry. So when we come back, I want to get your response to that as to really why they didn't come back. Maybe it was the retirement age. I don't know. But I'd like to get your perspective on that. And folks, if you want to join the conversation, uh, again, that phone number, and we'll be using this same phone number for tonight only uh, for Open Phone America, 833-377-6630, 833-377-6630. Three seven seven six six three zero. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. You know, one of the things, my, one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody misspells my last name with a Z rather than an S, right? <laughs> and I know uh, it, it, I shouldn't get really bothered by that. It's a, it's a very common uh, occurrence and a common mistake, an understandable one. Uh, but when I do it to somebody else, I always take exception to that. So I've called our guest Jay Ratcliffe, but it is Jay Ratcliffe, and I apologize for that. Jay Ratliff, welcome back, sir. Rich, if that's my biggest problem of the day, my friend, then uh, 
uh, you know, that I'm not having the kind of day I should be. So that's not a problem at all. Having worked at the uh, airport for decades, uh, you're called all kinds of things. So believe me, it's not a problem <laughs> at all, but I appreciate it. Sounds like radio a little bit, huh? <laughs> you got it. Absolutely. I don't doubt that. So uh, we left off with uh, you, you explained to us and, and, and really well that the the issue that um, we faced with the beginning of this pilot shortage was the fact that uh, the pandemic hit. They said we're not flying anywhere and we have to unload some of these people. Great. I figure there's people that are retirement age. They get bought out and whatnot. Um, I guess and I, I don't know the, the scene like you do where the majority of pilots uh, close to retirement age and, and that's why they didn't come back. Or is there another reason that people left and didn't come back? As usual, you're spot on because that that played a huge role in it with uh, a lot of the pilots that were leaving prior to the mandatory retirement age of 65. And when you look at the projections for the demand for air travel here in the United States and around the world, you do the math. And we have, uh, what, about half the pilots that are flying today that are going to hit that mandatory retirement age in the next 15 years. So if we can't keep up with replenishing the pilots now, uh, it's only going to get worse as we proceed. But here's my big concern. There, there's a movement that's going on right now in Europe. It's, it's kind of spilling its way over here that uh, the technology that's available to us in avionics uh, can allow comfortably, safely, uh, a pilot to be a single pilot on a given aircraft. Uh, Airbus right now is in the process of designing uh, some mock-ups for cargo airlines, and the thought is eventually it could go to uh, commercial airlines where there would be a single pilot cockpit. Uh, the thought being that one pilot, given the automation at hand, uh, can safely operate an airplane without any problem at all. And the the selling point that they're going to push at us, and believe me, I hate this idea. I want two experienced pilots on the flight deck. But they're saying, Jay, look, if we have a shortage of pilots, this is the perfect situation. Uh, where we have one pilot instead of two, and that way we can expand as we need to. A lot of the cities since the pandemic here in the United States, I think we have 150 airports that have lost about uh, 30% of their service. You have 500 airplanes that are still parked. They're mainly regional carrier airlines, or aircraft rather. And the thought is this would kind of help solve some of that problem because we're not getting the people from the military that we have received in the past because they're producing fewer pilots. There's so much of the automated flights that are going on right now. Uh, we're, it's just not the farm system it used to be. And there's a movement, mm-hmm. of course, right now to raise the retirement age from 65 to 67. That will help. It's amazing. It's taken as long as it is to, to get the buzzards on both sides of the island, Washington, D.C., off their rear ends to do anything, because that should have happened a long time ago. Uh, but that's going to be a measure that's going to help us only a little bit. Uh, there are some airlines that are out there saying that, you know, 1,500 hours, that's a lot for a pilot. L- let's bring that back a bit where we have pilots qualifying with fewer flight hours. That way, that would solve the problem. And thankfully, the Federal Aviation Administration, who's been known for doing some not real intelligent things, they stepped forward and said, <laughs> absolutely not. We're keeping things where we need to, and, and I'm glad for it. And, you know, coming off the Thanksgiving travel week that we had, the the Super Bowl week for airlines from the 17th of November until today, the last of the the, uh, travel uh, Thanksgiving uh, holiday, it's amazing that we had more people flying on fewer planes this Thanksgiving holiday 
than we'd had before because we have so many pilots that were short, and they still pulled off the ability to have more people flying, which is really quite the accomplishment. Yeah, and kudos to them. But I think, th- does this create, uh, an, I guess, a fertile ground for a problem of burnout? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the things that we're looking at is the real need for some additional mental health uh, examination and the Federal Aviation Administration in light of some of the recent issues that we've had with pilots here in the United States. Uh, they're actively now trying to come up with a committee that can look at, hey, what's the best way for us to help pilots that have some some mental health concerns? Now, the airlines are very good about self-reporting. You're allowed to self-report yourself as far as any addictions that you need problems uh, getting through, and the thought is it will not be held against you. Uh, the problem is sometimes that has happened where it's been kind of uh, held against pilots, and there's a real reluctance on the part of the men and women uh, in commercial aviation to step forward and say, I have a problem. So they're trying to figure out what's the best way for us to address that where we can help people that need the help and, uh, you know, with uh, w- with the tools that we have available right now because a lot of pilots are getting burnt out. Of course, you still have several airlines that don't have contracts where the pilots are kind of going back and forth and they're under stress because they're worried. They see the, the demand for travel slowing down and they're looking at the, you know, the, the idea that they don't yet have a contract locked in and that's stress. And then they're being asked to fly more hours. And of course, the FAA mandates how many hours a pilot can fly in a given uh, day, week or month. But the problem is, you know, if you've got a lot of uh, off time that you had planned on taking, sometimes the airlines can't accommodate that because of uh, the demands of the full schedule that they're pushing out there right now. Wow. Jay Ratliff, I want you to stick with us. Uh, we're going to wrap this up in a moment. Folks, we're on with Jay Ratliff. He's an aviation consultant. Uh, was an executive at Northwest Airlines. And uh, really enlightening conversation because oftentimes we hear about the problems that are happening in our society and the news and whatnot, but we don't know about the, the genesis of these problems and, and the ongoing plight that, that we face with these problems. So I'm grateful for the conversation. And uh, again, if you want to join the conversation, the phone number 833-377-6630, new temporary phone number for tonight because we had a uh, an issue, I like to say, with the deep state messing with our phone lines. But uh, they can't keep uh, these good men down in our control room. They were able to patch it back together. 833-377-6630 is the phone number. Rich Valdez on with Jay Ratliff, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And um, again, that phone number, if you want to join the conversation, get your calls in for Open Phone America. We're using a different phone line tonight because of a technical issue. 833-377-6630, 833-377-6630. Let's go to Lee. She's calling from Burlington, Vermont, WVMT. Go right ahead. You're on with Jay Ratliff. Mr. Ratliff, I uh, wondered if you're having the same problems getting air traffic controllers and their level of stress, too, because I don't think there's as much people coming from the military without mental health problems from being in uh, uh, 
war of conditions, PTSD and all that. Uh, Thank you. Oh, sorry. Is that, and because I think that's part of the mental problems you're having. All right. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate that. Jay Ratliff. Well, I mean, Lee asked a very good question, and and uh, one of the things that uh, again surprised me with the Federal Aviation Administration is they came into this year with the goal of hiring fifteen hundred air traffic controllers for the year, and knowing the challenges they had before, we thought, wow, is that really going to happen? They did it by September first. Now that's the good news, and that's an impressive accomplishment. The fact mm-hmm. that while the, the airports, airlines, other companies having problems filling their positions, uh, they were able to you know, slam dunk it. The problem is, many years ago, the Federal Aviation Administration decided to lower the standards the, of the air traffic controllers that they were bringing in to make it easier for people to qualify. And I mean drastically lowering the bar. So the thought is, okay, if we have 1,500 air traffic controllers, how good are these men and women going to be? And I think that's something that we're really looking at. And I can tell you this you've been aware of some of the near misses that we've been having at an alarming rate across the country. Some of the investigation that's being looked at is, yeah, the communication between pilots and air traffic controllers is is an issue, but is it the lack of expertise uh, in some of these air traffic controllers that's adding to this increased number of near misses across the country? And that's something that's being looked at. So on paper, the FAA has checked the box. They've hired their 1,500. They're going to try to hire more than that next year if they get the funding, and hopefully they will. Um, so it's not a matter of not having enough bodies. My question is, the people that are there, are they as qualified as they need to be to rise to the occasion here? Uh, very, very interesting question. Um, and I guess we'll see how that plays out. Now, Jay Ratliff, for everybody that's really interested in, in everything you're talking about, how can they follow you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Well, the easiest way to reach me is through my uh, my business website, which is just uh, jratliff.com, J-A-Y-R-A-T-L-I-F-F.com. And one of the things I want to encourage everyone is if you are having a problem with an airline, you can always reach out to me through my business website there, um, and I'll assist it in any way I can. But by all means, if you have a current or past problem with the airline, do not complain to the airline. Go to dot.gov, that's the Department of Transportation.gov, and uh, when you're at dot.gov, just type in the top uh, airline complaint and a very easy formal pop-up allow you to fill it out, send your complaint to the DOT. They will then, the Department of Transportation, go to the airlines on our behalf and demand that there's some sort of a response and copy us in as well. Airlines hate it when we do it, so do it <laughs> all bet. the time. Jay Ratliff, thank you very much. Folks, check them out at jratliff.com, R-A-T-L-I-F-F.com. Jay Ratliff, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. My uh, my pleasure. You bet. All right, folks, Open Phone America is coming up next, 833-377-6630. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's Monday night. Welcome back. We were off for a couple of days for Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. This is our number three of the program. Uh, if you're joining us, I'm going to give you the phone number. We have a new temporary phone number just for tonight as we uh, sort out what's going on with our regular phone line. So uh, if you want to grab a pen, I'll give you the phone number uh, for tonight only is 833-377-6630. There's some maintenance being done on our regular phone line. So uh, tonight we're using a different phone line. If you want to join the conversation, our late night national town hall conversation, that number again, 833-377-6630. And I opened up the show talking about uh, a little bit about the ceasefire that uh, they're now looking to add another two days to in um, Gaza. And we moved on to have some other discussions about the Palestinian students that were shot in Vermont. And uh, we had a really interesting uh, conversation on why there's a shortage of airline pilots and how uh, the government and the airline industry is working to um, overcome that. And a couple of things that I want to bring into this hour are um, Elon Musk. Obviously, you've heard the news over the last couple of uh, days about the organization known as Media Matters saying that he was anti-Semitic and putting uh, pro-Nazi um, content next to certain advertisers. And turns out that it was only him and his team, uh, well, him being Brock and the Media Matters team, that kind of engineered this stuff to make it look that way and then uh, made this complaint against Musk, which caused Twitter, now known as X, to lose a a bunch of sponsors and and advertisers. So um, interesting, he's really fired back, and he just spent the weekend in Israel meeting with Netanyahu to prove that he is not an anti-Semite and um, visited uh, Gaza over the weekend, and uh, maybe we'll get into that a little bit uh, as well straight ahead. Plus, I want to talk a little bit about artificial intelligence AI. The other day I shared a, a um, what they call a deep fake AI and uh, a video that looks very real, and it was of a clip of our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and if you want to see it, it's on my uh, social media pages uh, on Facebook and um uh, I think it's really only on Facebook. I don't think I shared it anywhere else. So if you want to take a look at the Facebook page, uh, the Rich Valdez Facebook page, you might see it there. But it's very funny. It's kind of like a parody of her. It sounds just like her. It looks like she's saying it. It's it's amazing what they can do. And she is known for saying uh, outlandish things, sometimes often foolish. But this one is not one that she said. It's what they call a deep fake. And uh, it was about the ceasefire. And she said the thing about ceasefire is that you see fire. So if it's a bonfire, if it's a candlelight, a candle flame, whatever it is, you're seeing fire. <laughs> and it was just, it was really comical to me. And that's why I shared it. But so many of the, the commenters on that were saying, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe she would say something like that. And a couple of them I had to remind them this was a deep fake, like I mentioned in the comment. And it, it just goes to show you the ingenuity and the prowess um, that AI brings to the table. Not that I'm a defender of this. I'm just saying it's, it's amazing what you can hear people saying and, and make them say in effect. Uh, so 
AI is now um, the cause for lots of things. And Sports Illustrated's in some heat for AI, so we'll get into that as well. And I also wanted to talk about that one story about the uh, Houthi rebels shooting a missile at a U.S. Navy ship. So we'll get into that as well. But I want to get to some of your calls before we take our first pause because uh, there's a few of you that have been on the on the line patiently waiting. And I want to give you the phone number again, the phone number for tonight only, as they do maintenance on our regular line. The phone number tonight is 833-377-6630, And let us go to uh, Maggie. Maggie's in Roseburg, Oregon on KQEN. Maggie, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Thank you so much for taking my call. This is the first time I've been able to call into your show. Um, I wanted to first thank you so much for bringing Jay on. And I'm a little bit tainted. And let me explain to you why and that I would like your opinion about about kind of what I'm feeling. Um, Many years ago, I served 35 years in the military from 1974 until 2015. Thanks for your service. Thank you. Yeah, 10 of those were active duty. I volunteered for Vietnam, and I was actually in Korea when Vietnam fell. I was a combat medic, medical corpsman, and became a licensed nurse later. During the early 90s, they were doing the forced anthrax. And, of course, there was a news blackout, not to let people knowing um, some of the horrible side effects of some of my soldiers, my boys and girls, were coming back having as a result of having taken the, the experimental anthrax which is not the same kind that our veterinarian doctors take when they're working with hoofed animals. Plus, they were also being given many immunizations that they weren't even told what they were, and then all their records ended up being sent uh, as a repository to the Oklahoma Federal Building. So there was that that was going on. And then my brother uh, flew with Republic Airlines, with Northwest Airlines, and retired with Delta. So he did about 40 years with the airlines. He just recently retired. Mm. And one of the things that we were noticing is that some things were happening with the pilots, but he wouldn't talk about it. Uh, We lost three cousins, ages 32, 42, and 72, from taking the Pfizer within days. My father-in-law had two heart attacks. Are you talking about the the vaccine from Pfizer? Yes, yes. And my just recently in 2020. Yes, my father-in-law took uh, the Moderna one shot. He had two heart attacks, one in front of my husband, who's also retired military. And a week later, we found him from the second heart attack. My mother died eight days later from oh taking the Moderna with blood clots throughout her body. So when I'm looking at what's happening with our pilots in the industry, I'm hearing stories that many of them have had heart attacks. They've had uh, myocarditis, pericarditis, um, all from having taken the first or the first and second injection. And I would like to ask you, do you think that's another reason why many of them are being grounded or being forced to retire? You know, uh, this is was part of my belief. And again, I can only base it on what I know. I don't know a ton of pilots, but I do have a friend that I worked with, a former colleague of mine, and his son had graduated uh, school uh, and and was an, a commercial pilot and had finally gotten a job uh, working with an airline, uh, one of the big ones. And he um, called me one day or texted me and he said, hey, Rich, you know, please pray for my son. Um, I said, of course, you know, what's going on? And he explained to me that his son had had refused to take the uh, vaccine initially. And they said, no, you have to take it if you're going to fly or you're not flying. And he took So he got the vaccine. I don't know which one he got, but I know he took the COVID vaccine. Um, and shortly after developed uh, myocarditis. And, and, and this this kid is like fresh out of school. 
I think he was 22 or 23 years old. And I, I was, you know, just blown away by this. I felt horrible. I have a daughter that age. And I, I just was able to, you know, I guess relate in a way or empathize. And it was, it, it took him a while uh, and he finally got better, but he was not able to fly while he had myocarditis. And thankfully, I believe he's, he's better now and, and he's flying again. But it was months uh, before that was resolved. And that's just one person that I personally know of. And he was in his 20s. So when you're mentioning to me family members that are 42 and 62, um, I could totally see that being part of it and, and part of a, a larger story that's, that's not being frequently told because I don't know what the percentage is ultimately um, when, when that's the case. I also know that we had a very good interview a while back. I, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head, but he'd written a phenomenal book on the death statistics. And this guy was a money guy, a finance guy that was looking at vaccine deaths and, and, and how it was affecting various uh, elements of society, including finance and used this financial analytical approach to um, crunching the numbers. And he came up with a, a, a fascinating, a fascinating look at how this is in fact, uh, in fact, affecting large swaths of our our society at large where people are, are being affected by the outcomes or results of vaccine injuries. Uh, again, I don't know how large of a number it was, but it was large enough for them to, to notice. And it went well outside of pilots and whatnot. So I think um, you're clearly, um, you know, I think um, pulling on the right thread here. I don't know if that's the main cause, but I think it's definitely a cause. And uh, we've seen, I think we've seen it in professional sports and weightlifters and, and many people. Uh, ultimately, I think that were young and, and took a vaccine that they probably shouldn't have taken um, based on doctors like Dr. J, Bhattacharya, and others saying that if you didn't have pre-existing uh, medical conditions, um, you probably didn't need this if you were young and otherwise healthy. And I think we, we've seen some of that issue. So um, I hope that makes uh, some sense. Uh, I know Steve Kirsch is a multimillionaire from Silicon Valley, and he's been taking statistics and everything, noting down. Uh, one of the things we noticed with some of my former patients before I retired recently, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm turning in my nursing license. I refuse to ever work in the medical field again after what I saw of uh, the medical wow. tyranny going on. But he he's aware of the fact that um, both my father-in-law, who was in perfect health, and my mother eight days apart, just after they took it, and I don't call it a vaccination, I call it inoculation. Uh, right mm -hmm. after they took it, they both had cognitive decline, dizziness, uh, loss of appetite. My father-in-law fell down and injured himself. Uh, my mother had seizures and shortness of breath. Oh, and she was gosh. ambulance to Kaiser twice with seizures and shortness of breath. And again, both of them passed away uh, August and September of 2021. Uh, eight days apart from both having taken the Moderna. So there is an investigation going on right now that these experimental inoculations and what they're made of, uh, they actually ruin and suppress your immune system. And I've been doing mm. huge investigation into this, and it actually harms our immune system, our God-given immune system, um, and it messes with basically our DNA and our RNA. And so from my, my feelings, I wanted to know how you felt about that because – Many of these pilots are now reporting to us 
that they're permanently grounded because they took even just one inoculation. Oh, wow. Well, I, I honestly, I think it's terrible, Maggie, and, and it's something um, I think we should continue to look at. And I'll, I'll see if we could find uh, somebody. I think we had Dr. Robert Malone on not too long ago, who's the inventor of the uh, mRNA vaccine technology or one of them. And and um, it was a really good interview. And maybe we could have him back to give us an update on on the, the latest state of affairs with that. So I think it's something that we if don't want could. to lose track on because otherwise we, um, you know, we, we we don't talk about it. We don't know about it. So I think you raised a really good point, Maggie. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed your pie at Thanksgiving. And folks are coming right back with the rest of your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, Mr. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with Open Phone America here on the show. Uh, the phone number, if you want to join us, is 833-377-6630. 833-377-6630. That's our temporary phone number just for tonight as uh, we have to do some maintenance on our phone line to make sure the deep state doesn't knock us off. But you can still reach the show, 833-377-6630. And I want to go to uh, Sandra in Dothan, Alabama, calling us on WDBT. Sandra, go right ahead. I going to say was I can remember uh, years ago that uh, the government, us, we have – uh, supplemented the fares for the airlines where the people realize that or not. And we do today, even for Amtrak for train rides, you know, they charge you a fee, but actually the government is supplementing that fee or we'd have to pay more. But my question is this, and I didn't call in soon enough. Maybe, you know, about this. I know, you know, that the government gave the airlines billions of dollars but I never did hear what did the airlines do with all those billions of dollars because in turn they got the money and then they hiked up the cost of the airfare. So I'd like you to comment on what you know about that. Sure. Well, I I think what you're talking about is this uh, airline bailout that happened a couple of years ago and they came in like two waves of $25 billion each. The first one was um, for the payroll protection. So uh, the commercial airlines that were carrying, you know, passengers across the the country and whatnot to make sure that they didn't let go of all these people. Um, I think it happened a little bit uh, too little too late type of thing uh, where they ended up trimming a lot of fat and um, what, you know, what they consider trimming a lot of fat. I don't think firing uh, able-bodied pilots is a good idea, especially if you're going to need them later. But kind of what we discussed with Jay Ratliff was that they thought that this was going to be a long effort of two, three years of, of having um, minimal flights going around because of, you know, and, and skipping a seat in between each person, that type of craziness. Then they said, no, we're not skipping seats. We're going to just let people sit. Then they said, you got to just wear a mask. And the people freaked out on the planes. I mean, I remember there was no shortage of crazy stories at that time. So, um, but yeah, $25 billion went to payroll. Uh, the other 25 billion, um, I, I'm not sure, honestly, how, how the, how that part got spent. 
But I know it's been a couple of years, maybe even three years since that happened, or at least since it was announced. And um, I think the idea at the time was we're investing this money or injecting this money, I should say, to keep the airlines afloat to make sure that, you know, we they don't crash because there's no money coming into them. Um, I don't know that that's going to have any impact on the prices we pay today only because there those are I mean, one thinks and one would suppose and one hopes that those prices that we're seeing today are representing the current market value. Uh, I would say some of the flights that I've uh, recently gotten, they're sometimes double what they were just, you know, five years ago. Um, And double sounds like a lot for inflation. So I agree with you. But again, if there's an increase in in the cost of X, Y, and Z, that's all going to affect you. And this is why I think it's so important to, to manage inflation, because as inflation goes up, everything goes up. And again, Biden likes to always say, oh, it's the evil corporations and it's the uh, um, price gouging. Well, again, I'm not supporting price gouging. I don't want to pay a lot for an airline flight. If I can get, you know, there were times where uh, I remember buying a round trip ticket for 49 bucks, not even during COVID before that, like 2018. So ultimately, I think um, the money was injected and it kept the airlines afloat. Um, Can they continue to be afloat? Without pilots, I don't know. And we'll see how that plays out. But I want to thank you for your call because I appreciate it. And I want to give you that phone number one more time. Sandra, thank you again for the call. WDBT, big shout out to Alabama. Uh, The phone number, 833-377-6630. I'm sorry, 833-377-6630. 6630. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with the rest of your calls and more. Plus, what happened with this U.S. Navy ship that was hit with some missile fire? We're going to talk about it straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is an incident at sea involving a hijacked ship, pirates and ballistic missiles launched toward a U.S. Navy warship. It began when a commercial cargo ship in the Gulf of Aden made a distress call saying they were under attack from armed men in a small boat. U.S. Central Command says the USS Mason, a Navy destroyer, gave chase as the five attackers tried to flee the cargo ship in a small boat, finally surrendering. Then hours after that initial attack, two ballistic missiles were fired in the direction of the USS Mason from Yemen, where Iranian-backed Houthis operate. The missiles fell far short of the Mason, about 10 miles away. But U.S. ships in the region have been in the line of fire since the war in Gaza began, although this morning it is still unclear whether this attack on the commercial vessel, which is owned by a company led by an Israeli-born shipping magnate, is part of these larger threats. Report from ABC News on this um, U.S. Navy responding to 
distress calls after an Israeli-owned tanker was uh, seized by pirates off the coast of Yemen. Now, you just heard the report from Martha Raditz from ABC News. Now, the suspected piracy attack, it's coming while other maritime attacks in recent days uh, are linked to this particular war between um, Israel and Hamas. And this Navy vessel, um, <clears throat> I think she said it was the USS Nascent, they, re- they responded to this distress call on Sunday. And then they got shot at. Um, Mason, excuse me, USS Mason. So my question here is, how is Joe Biden going to respond to a U.S. Navy ship being attacked with a missile? Now, we, we've seen this, you know, there was the bombing of the USS Cole many years ago, 1993. And we saw President Clinton's response then, which um, I think it, it seems to be par for the course for uh, Democrat administrations to to respond, but typically kind of the way Biden responded, you know, blow up an empty building, that type of thing. Hey, don't mess with us. All right. You know, we're going to go tit for tat here. Uh, but are we really going tit for tat? Um, because th- I don't know that's going to stop anything. We've had numerous attacks. I think the last number I saw was 56 attacks on bases throughout the, the Middle East where U.S. troops are housed and a bunch of them getting brain injuries. This is, in my opinion, part of the war. And it's on us. It's on the United States. And I'm not saying we need an all-out war, but I am saying take some action. And the person that is an all-out war, our ally, Israel, Netanyahu, we need to have their back because clearly this is a problem that is spilling outside of the region. Uh, This is my... um, my layman's understanding of this. That's how, you know, my approach to this is one of common sense. They're attacking us. We have to stop them from attacking us. And clearly they they don't respect the United States enough to not attack us. So here we are. And what are we going to do? What is Joe El Baboso Biden going to do? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I would suspect not much. And I think this is ultimately going to cost him and the Democrats, um, because people don't want to be in this position where the America, where the, the United States of America isn't respected and where we continue to have destabilization in, in various regions throughout the world because of, in my opinion, poor leadership coming from the current administration. So uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's see here. Let's go to uh, Matt. He's calling from close to Moorhead City, North Carolina on WTKF. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. How you doing tonight? I'm good, Matt. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, wonderful. Thank you. My neighbor made me a neighbor lady, a sweetheart, maybe about a 12 course meal. <laughs> did you have pie? What kind of pie did you have? Pumpkin. Lovely. And me too. I had pumpkin and apple. Who's cooler than me? I had well, apple anyway. cobbler to go with it. Oh, now we're talking. Did you have the vanilla ice cream with it? Yes, I two, two giant trays, Rich. Beautiful. Who's better than I you? Owes, I think I owe her some money. <laughs> I'm glad you later. enjoyed. Let me tell you, I haven't heard good authority, Rich, that um, the only way to save this country, like I told Tom, the call screener, the only way to save this country is two quick points, if I may. 
The sure. only way to save this country is that Biden does not get reelected. And I was told by someone in good authority that neither Joe Biden nor Hunter Biden is going to get any conviction for anything. Yeah, I would believe that. I don't, there's not a, if Joe Biden or Hunter Biden for a second even saw the inside of a jail cell for anything other than a tour of that jail cell, I would be, I would be legitimately shocked. I, I, I could not imagine. It just doesn't work that way. Right. We, we, we don't, we don't jail our politicians unless they're Trump. It's very rare, right? Rod Blagojevich. I mean, you get some local corruption uh, deals, but when you have this massive um, situation like we have with the big guy and all of these investigations, I think at best, at the very best, we may get an impeachment that may cause Biden to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to run. Uh, and not, I don't mean an impeachment and removal. I mean, just an impeachment. Uh, he might turn around and double down and say, hey, if the other guy, the other guy got impeached and he ran again, I can run again, too. Um, I could see him saying something like that. Uh, I just think I think the Democrats will be on board with an impeachment and use that as leverage and say, hey, listen, Joe, brother, we love you. But um, that's it. Your time has come. We got to go in a different direction because this guy, uh, Joe Biden, is, is, is ruining our chances. You, sir, are ruining our chances. And I think when they realize that. Uh, that they can do that. I think they'll 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 cooperate and, and we could likely have I don't think like I said, I don't think we'll have a, a conviction, but I think there might be a, a push for an impeachment that beyond the, the current inquiry. So we'll see how that goes. But I agree with you. We we need a change in direction. We have to uh, a, any anybody but Biden, I think, is a safe strategy. Of course, I'm rooting for Trump. I think tr- Trump is, is the way to go. Uh, but I mean, all you got to do is just watch a little bit of the news and you'll hear about the endless stories coming out of the Middle East, as well as, you know, all these other headlines that are there just to trash Trump. Um, looking at the Drudge Report, there's a focus here. 48 day, days to, to the first primary uh, in Iowa. Then um, you've got evangelicals turning away from the dawn. Court battle over January 6th is a liability. And, and just so many more. There's so many headlines here uh, aimed at uh, being detrimental to Trump. I don't see a single one. Um, it's hard to find them, right, where where they'll say something like, oh, you know, he's ahead in all the polls or he's this or he's that. It's something that's, you know, outside of a, a critique or a criticism. That's pretty much all you get. So I think you're, you're right in that we have to have a change. And I think we also need to, in in and of ourselves, as cliche as it sounds, and I've said it before, um, we have to, to be part of that change. Our children have to be part of that change. We have to affect the, the systems that we have, right? We have a woke military. Why do we have a woke military? Because we have very few people that are willing to stand up inside of the military against wokeness. I'm not saying that the, the men and women of the military are afraid to stand up. They stand up for this country all the time. But many of them realize that if they speak out, if they speak out, um, they will, they will be treated like um, Lieutenant uh, Colonel uh, Stuart Scheller, right? He was the one that was, uh, they put him in the brig and uh, he, he was ultimately, um, you know, in a lot of trouble because of him 
saying uh, he, he disagreed with the leadership and that more needed to be done and that the withdrawal from Afghanistan was a disaster. And listen, uh, I commend him. I think Scheller is the man. Uh, and I think we need more of that. We need more people, in, not just the military, I just use that as an example, but overall, if we don't, if we can't be the change within these organizations, within these institutions, um, how do we get there? I, I just don't know, Matt. Oh, thank you, Rich. You bet. And thank you. And enjoy, if you have any leftover pie, enjoy that too. Folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America, we uh, we come back to your calls and uh, welcoming everybody back from our little Thanksgiving break. I can tell you, I, I, I'm in slow motion today still. I feel like I have uh, the tryptophan from the turkey is, is on overload still. I feel like I'm in slow motion. And I had turkey. I had a, a, um, a ham. Um, what else did I have? I had a roast pork shoulder. Oh, pernil, we call it. Oh, it was so good. Um, rice and chickpeas known as arroz con gandule. And um, it was just really, really so good that I'm, I'm still literally in slow motion after the leftovers. And I want to continue with our calls. I want to go to Kim in Shields, Michigan, streaming on KDKA. Kim, what type of pie did you have? Pumpkin with a lot of whipped cream. <laughs> mm, sounds delicious. And what's on your mind on what's happening in the world tonight? Okay, I called in about something important that happened in Michigan. Can I say just one thing about Maggie's call, please? Sure. Okay. Um, She was right on the money about everything. And when you had Dr. Robert Malone on a few months ago, when he concluded his interview with you, he said the one you should, I believe he said his name was Dr. Ryan Cole. He said you really should talk to him because and he can tell you about the turbo cancers and the micro clots that people are getting in their brains and their eyes mm-hmm. and the tiny vessels. And he can tell you they recently found fragments of SV40. It's a monkey virus. And mm. that's been found. But Dr. Ryan Cole's been put through hell. He lost his lab and everything. He's the one to talk to about all this stuff that Maggie was talking about. I think we may have reached out to him and we're waiting to hear back or get a a schedule, a date that works. Um, But, yeah, it's a conversation I definitely want to have because um, it's it's something I I don't know a hell of a lot about and I have a lot of questions about. So thank you for that. 
Yeah, I got two of the shots, too, and I'm wondering what's in store for all of us. But anyways, um, what I called about is something really nasty happened here in Michigan, and I'll talk fast because I know you've got a lot of calls. Um, uh, they were having the Christmas tree lighting ceremony down in Ypsilanti, Michigan, down near Detroit, mm-hmm. and um, a Muslim mob stormed the Christmas tree lighting, and they... Um, we're yelling, there's no peace until there's a two-country solution, and there's peace in, in Palestine. And, and then it goes, um, and then at the end, the one guy was speaking to the whole massive group. He said, I think we made our point. We came here, we disrupted the event, we canceled Christmas, so give it up to yourselves. He yelled at the protesters that were there, the pro-Muslim mob. And then they went on to storm a a building where children were were singing Christmas carols and they were shouting, America is a terrorist state. And they broke into that building and they terrified the children. But it, that's your Muslims. Uh, they probably came from Dearborn. But anyways, thanks, Rich. And I'm really glad you're back from Thanksgiving. Oh, thank you, Kim. And I am not familiar with that story. But um, I, I don't know if, if it was um, Muslim protesters or if they were like pro-Hamas uh, agitators that we've seen all over the country. Uh, I'll take a look at it, but, you know, before I can give an opinion on it. Uh, but I, I think it's important for us to, to you know, always get that right. And um, I think every now and again, you'll see stories of uh, of radicals that want to blow up abortion clinics because they're pro-life and they're willing to, you know, use bombs and whatnot. Um, I wouldn't ever characterize that as, you know, these Christians came and they wanted to blow up and they may in fact be Christians, uh, that are, you know, misguided in their attempts to, um, to protest, uh, abortion. But, um, I, am not familiar with this story, so I, I can't in, in, in good conscience, just, just say, you know, I've heard about it, but I'll definitely look into it and I thank you. And I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Good to hear from you again, Kim. Uh, Let us continue with our calls when we come back in the speed round. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. you several years now. I want the audience to know what a wonderful, decent person you are. Very, very thoughtful. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your calls. I want to go to Jane, Saratoga, New York, WGDJ. Jane, go right ahead. Hey, how are you? Okay, first of all, yeah, Joe Biden is a child-sniffing, perverted traitor. Okay, and that sort of sums him up. As far as the vaccines go, I have two very good friends in Austin, Texas, who just mm-hmm. died from the new vaccine. Both of them in their 30s, they developed very severe blood clots around their heart, mm-hmm. and both of them had massive heart attacks and died. Now, these people are in their 30s. I have never taken a vaccine, and I never will. And um, I lost a friend in North Carolina 
an older gentleman, but from the vaccine, he developed pancreatitis and never came home from the hospital. Wow. You know, Jane, this is one of those things that, you know, like I said, we had that guest on. I'm I'm drawing a blank on his name. I'm going to ask our team to to maybe uh, dig that up because it was a really good interview and I'll, I'll announce it maybe tomorrow. Just if anybody wants to check it out at rich Valdez, America at night.com, they can, because I think it's a, an important topic. We have to kind of get an update on that. Maybe we'll bring him back or bring back somebody else that can give us an update on that. Or maybe uh, Dr. Cole that was suggested earlier. Um, I'm sorry about your, your friends that passed away and I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. What kind of pie did you have, Jane? always have pumpkin <laughs> yeah pumpkin, pumpkin is, is a, and apple yeah i like apple too but yeah yeah I, I love apple pie too I'm, I'm not a huge pie guy like anytime except for thanksgiving but um thanksgiving makes me a pie guy and i, I always enjoy a good tiny 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 slice because you know i can't overdo it I've, I've i'm probably up like five or six pounds just from the last few days of eating jane thank you for your call i want to go to our resident historian on the program uh, Bill, who is calling us tonight from Jefferson City, Missouri on KTTR. Bill, go right ahead. Yes, Rich. Uh, lovely night. Boone full tonight. And uh, I'd like to quickly remember Rosalind Carter and yes. a DVD I saw recently of her rock and roll president and how she supported him. Uh, during his election in 1976, where he got the help of the Altman Brothers Band, John and uh, June Cash, uh, Johnny Cash, and uh, the late uh, Timothy Buffett and uh, Paul Simon. Anyway, she was a great help to him in the White House and during the Camp David Accords uh, when she was singing with. Irene, good night with Willie Nelson, and while her husband was working with at Camp David with the Begin and uh, Anwar Shanat. Oh, the other thing I wanted to tell you was quickly this Thursday, November 30th, I'm going to an event at the National Churchill Museum in Mid Missouri, five to cool. seven p.m. to celebrate the 149th anniversary of Winston Churchill's birth, and it's wow. a great. A great thing to get involved in because they're going to have a 10-minute film that shows Churchill and uh, and Harry Truman. Well, Bill, I got to cut you off there because we got to run. Thank you. Good luck at the event. And America, great to be back. I uh, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, as we always say in my house. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, I'm looking forward to being with you tomorrow. God bless. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? (laughs) You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.